Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. Hey, hey guys. Today I'm going to be talking with Craig Swanson. He is an entrepreneur, business coach, and co-founder of the online learning platform Creative Live. And before I tell you a little more about him, I'm going to let you know I had a few reservations originally around having him on the show, and I, I couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, it's such a fantastic talk that we have coming up. But when I, I first was doing this, I was wondering, will this be a good fit? I knew him from when I was in the photographer world, and I've moved so far beyond that at this point. I was like, I don't, I don't want to go back there. And I shouldn't have worried. I shouldn't have worried at all. Craig is a brilliant conversationalist, and I love some of the the directions that we went in this conversation. So before we dive in, he did co-found Creative Live, which would grow from a small startup team to 70 plus employees. And they offered workshops with top industry leaders like Brene Brown and Tim Ferriss. Now, Craig partners with creators, educators, and influencers by providing the missing piece that they need to get to the next stage of their business. And he's helping build million dollar businesses one step at a time right now. We're going to be talking in this conversation about Yes, building a personal brand, but but really what happens when you're ready to move beyond the personal piece? How do you separate you from your brand? How do you separate you from your work? And, and what are the things that are going to come up? What are the consequences of those decisions? So we're going to be diving into all of that here in just a minute. All right, Craig, I am so excited to dive into this conversation with you. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I have heard your name bounded around for oof, a good decade or so. Um, didn't know what you looked like, didn't know much mm -hmm. about you. So uh, this was this was an interesting one, but I'm really excited to hear your take on topics around work and entrepreneurship and and really just how it all flows together for you. But before we we do that, would you mind giving us a brief history? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that you don't know what I look like because very few people do unless unless they were in the early days of Creative Live or, or different things. So I I'm, I was one of the original co-founders of Creative Live back in 2010. Prior to that, I had an IT service company that I ran for about 20 years. Uh, so trading time for money, getting clients, all the, all, the, uh, all the work of being a small business owner. And since uh, starting Creative Live in 2015, I spun off on my own and I basically have been building online education platforms with educators and content creators that have a really large following already. So basically they've already built a brand around themselves. They've, they've, they've developed a following. And then I come in and partner with them and help build a platform around them. And um, we've done a lot in, in the photography space and uh, in some other spaces as well. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's interesting that you say that they've already done the work of, of building a following, which, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of people struggle to even get there. So they've already done a, you know, huge amount of work, but, you know, they're moving into an entirely different business arrangement. Like just how, how do you run things? How do you do things? How do you set it up? How do you scale? Right. I mean, all the, all the stuff that people talk about and they're probably not so familiar with that. Exactly. And that's, that's the big challenge. It's a lot of times what people are able to build with themselves there is a step at which they become their own block for the next phase. Um, and, and we all as entrepreneurs reach this place. And uh, it's one of the reasons I really love 
the challenge of scaling small businesses because it is such an opportunity for us to learn about ourselves in the process. I think there's personally no better place to learn about myself than in the intersection between me and the market and figuring out where my values are and what I want to create and what I'm willing to give up and trade. And all of this back and forth, I think, is just a huge opportunity. I love what you just said, mm-hmm. what I'm willing to give up as I create, because I mm-hmm. think realistically, most people don't mm-hmm. don't look at it that way. You know, most people are like, yeah, I want to do this thing. I want to do this thing. And it's not obvious that doing this thing is going to carve out time from your life, but it's also going to carve out your attention from not just your free time, but from your other you know business endeavors, from the other things that you've already been doing. And it will require some shifting at, at minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, yeah, I was thinking about this and I've been thinking about like the balance of time and, and core values and priority. And I think I think scaling done well, done effectively, becomes lighter on a owner's shoulders as the company scales. But I, but I think most self-made entrepreneurs, without a chance to step back and reevaluate their path and what they want, tend to swell instead of scaling. They tend to add more things on that add weight upon them as opposed to building a streamlined system that actually lifts them up. They spend their time carrying the company and staying, letting the company carry them. So I imagine one of the reasons that that happens is because, you know, it's their baby and they're used to controlling all the things, right? Like you go yeah. from a team of just yourself where you literally did every last thing to, yeah. you know, maybe you hire on a few, a few support people, but it's still you making all the decisions, you know, the buck stops yeah. here, right? Yeah. Um, I've seen a fair number of people in my world recently, but they've been talking about this, that, you know, as you, as you grow, you can't just keep adding more and more responsibilities to your plate. Even if you have people doing portions of the work, if you're still the decision maker, you're the bottleneck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that you said the business is their baby, because I honestly, I never would have separated from my business if we didn't, if my wife and I had not gotten pregnant with a real baby. Okay, um, well, that's, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, so, I mean, my story, there's some trauma in my story, but um, the, the short version is we were pre-diagnosed with our, with our daughter had Down syndrome, which we knew before she was born. And we went through a lot of mourning and a lot of really kind of hard looking at ourselves. And at that time, I had a company that was my baby. It took everything from me. I gave it everything I was. And I felt like I was being moral by doing that. I felt like like my giving of everything I had to this business I had created was my path, was my purpose. It was the right thing to do. And I kind of had this kind of negative opinion about owners that would kind of take from their business and not, not pour themselves into it and, and create some boundaries. And we were forced to really look at the business. And, and we made a choice that if we could not change our relationship with the business uh, before my daughter was born, we were going to end my business. We were going to let the business die because my daughter needed to have dad. And I was not going to be able to have the work relationship I had had prior to that point. Um, so it was forced. Like this, this was wasn't forced. like a, um, oh, you know, we're going through a transition. I mean, you, you had a hard stop on this. Yeah. And... I think if I had not gone through that process, 
um, I never would have, I never would have learned how to delegate authority and control of my business to other people. I never would have allowed myself the risk of letting other people like relying on other people of allowing other people to drive things of allowing people the type of autonomy and creative freedom to allow them to make it their own. I would never have created the space for myself that I would have had the freedom to create what became creative live. I, I, I would not have had the relationship with online selling. There are just so many things that, that I would have fought to keep myself trapped in this small role and defended at, at, uh, at the risk of anyone that tried to talk me out of it, I would have defended this small service-based role that I established myself, even at the same time as it was sucking the life out of me. Yeah, it's so funny. I would have defended my small role, Wait, what you just said there, because <laughs> I feel like you and I were meant to talk today for a very specific reason. So um, we're, we're in the process of, of my 10-year-old being diagnosed with ADHD, and it's like a whole new learning experience for for me as a parent. You know how how am I going to help him motivate to do the right things, right? And it would be it would have been really really accurate to say that you know a year or two ago I would have been like no 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 he needs to fall in line with what we want and I'm I'm learning all these new things and we have some very good family friends who um, have already traveled this journey and the dad of that family um, texted me a a link to a YouTube video yesterday, two days ago. And it, it was a take on the whole, would you rather be right or would you be happy? Only instead of happy, would you rather be right or would you la- rather learn? And it was one of those like smack you in the face moments for me. I was just flabbergasted. I was like, no, I, I would always rather learn. But, you know, in practicality, <laughs> it's a little different. I, I mean, I, you... I've got notes on the on the screen in front of me. And would you rather be right or would you rather X is really like so much of what the learning process for me is about. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that, that there's anything wrong with being right. Sometimes choosing to be right is totally fine. Um, but a lot of us trade the life we want to be right about the life we have. Mm, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I, I don't know where you want to go with this, but, but I've, I've kind of got two, I've got a couple different directions we could potentially take this, which is more about separating identity from business, or we could talk about like that of the, the nitty gritty of brand and like the brand consequences of these type of conversations. Is there any that you're more attracted to right now? I think let's go for the nitty gritty on, on brand consequences. Um, I mean, you've worked with some personal brands. I've mm-hmm. worked with personal brands and, and you know, I love what you're saying that there are consequences for some of these big decisions. <laughs> Absolutely. So just to kind of like frame a little bit where I usually come into the picture, because I, I, I very honestly, I am not a brand builder. I am a company builder and I, I respect brand, but I am not a brand builder. I partner with people that have put the work in to really establish personal brand around themselves and, and attract a really large following. And I work with them to create a scalable model around them and to really take what they've started and create something significantly bigger than either they think they could do by themselves or necessarily want to do alone. And inevitably, this is an early stage for them in terms of this dance of control and identity and everything that they built up. And one of the things I've learned to do over time 
is very early on, often before we even become partners or start working together, is we have a really deep conversation about brand and values. Um, because one of the things that I, I really tend to only work with people that have a, that are mission driven in some fashion that that definitely are have a larger purpose beyond just making money or selling units. And what I ask to do is to basically go through their brand and kind of break things into the non-negotiable parts and everything else. So what is what is non-negotiable and what is everything else? And and generally what I find is that breaks into three different major categories. In the non-negotiable side, we have core values or morals or really deep-seated ethical beliefs. We generally have some very strong self-image beliefs around the person around whose brand this is built. And then in the everything else category, depending on how much control they're willing to cede to the market and to the, to the rest of the world, we have opinions, aesthetics, tactics, wording, all sorts of other things. And one of the things that, that I really try to, to kind of gauge with them is how willing they are to allow the things that are, in the, that are outside of the non-negotiable side of the brand, how willing they are to allow us to learn from the market and learn from the audience to educate us as to what is important, rather than us making the assumptions that we know what they want. That's a, that's a really powerful distinction. Your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. By Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And this is absolutely true. And I would say, um, especially in the world of creating an online community, the community creates its own understanding of a brand. And in a lot of ways, that is truer than what we put on our index cards and what we put into our PDFs internally. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. As a person who's been in the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. space for 20 years mm-hmm. at this point myself, um, mm-hmm. I've been a part of a number of large communities. I've seen some come, I've seen some go, I've seen some break down in a glorious fireblaze. But, you know, I think the ones that continue on are doing what you say, you know, the the market is demanding this, I have to decide, does this go against my values? If it does not go against my values, am I willing to concede to the market expectation? And I'm right now seeing, you know, some communities that I, I think will die over the next couple of years because they are not willing to go. It's it's my way or the highway or, well, we don't do things that way. Or, you know, it's and mm-hmm. it's sad. It's it's sad when you can step back and look at it that way and, and when you have found value in a community. But um, from the personal brand growth point of view, if you're going to align your brand with more than just the work you do, but a whole community, you mm-hmm. have to probably... Yeah, and those non-negotiables. I think I think that's really really comes down to. I, I absolutely think it's true, and I think I think that if you, if people really do the work of identifying what the non-negotiables are, what our core values are, we basically double down on our core values. And honestly, a core value. One of the things I look for in brand partners is I kind of look for them to prove to me that their core values are their core values, and usually that proof is them stepping away from money, stepping away from opportunity that goes against those values. Like there, there will inevitably become a time where the core values that they have stated is tested by opportunity, crisis, or something big that, mm-hmm. that, that gives them something they say they want, 
outside of that core value. And then when they make a choice as to which they're going to honor, that really educates me and it educates everybody that's watching them what their core values are. Um, and, the, and the challenge I would say, I was thinking about this, especially in the photography space, which I know you have a history in. Yeah. I think a lot of people end up without doing that, that really that parsing of what their core values are versus what their opinions, beliefs, attitudes, and preferences are, that the same emotional response comes to all of those. And so a lot of people will respond as if they're responding to a moral issue for a personal opinion or a tactic. In the photography space, I am amazed how emotionally people can become opinionated about things that are very, very tactical about gear. Um, one of my favorite quotes around this was from Zach Arias. Lens choice is not a moral issue. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't know it from some, some communities. Oh my goodness. And and for the for the listeners who <laughs> did not come from the photography world, I am laughing because I cannot tell you how many threads and threads of arguments I have seen on why you are wrong to choose an 85 millimeter lens. And and you could probably, you know, put that into any world, you know, food bloggers who are saying, you know, only cuisine art is the the, the right brand or you know, IT and tech people saying how how dare you spaces, use this spaces you know. versus tabs, spaces versus tabs for programs. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Oxford comma for me, for me, this is a personal one. The proper use of the M dash because I prefer I prefer newspaper standards where there's a space in my M dash. Where if you come from book publishing, there is no space in your M dash. Well, now we can't be friends because I don't want spaces around my M dash. So there you go. <laughs> if this were a moral issue, we would now no longer be able to continue this conversation. Right. And one of the challenges with a self-made entrepreneur that has a that has a strong public brand, because the other thing that, that makes entrepreneurs with a strong public brand different is they they have that force of will that they're basically willing to push themselves out in the public spotlight and take the challenges of that. And they have enough identity to basically hold their place in that. So they tend to not be shrinking violets when it comes to their opinions. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> So I don't know if uh, you have helped people with like Facebook as one of these moral issues, one of these issues that's very, very difficult is the very first time that someone starts allowing someone else to be posting on their Facebook or Instagram identity mm -hmm. or to be running ads on their Facebook or Instagram identity and to have words that are not exactly what they would have chosen be the words that show up or a crop of a photo that's not exactly the one that they would have chosen show up. This is kind of when when I have these conversations about separating the brand conversation into the non-negotiable and the negotiable is are these things, is every post going to be vetted by you ahead of time? Is that where we are in the non-negotiable? Is every choice going to be your aesthetic before it gets a chance to be tested against the market? And this is where you choose what you're going to give up and what you're going to retain. Because someone built who has a strong personal brand that is, has defined their non-negotiables so strongly that nobody else can play in their sandbox. They will be alone in making all these choices for the rest of their career. Yeah. And navigating having other people being actors who can play and can take 
significant action for the business that you are co-creating with them necessitates choices that are not my own. And that for most entrepreneurs is going to feel wrong regardless of whether the market agrees or disagrees because there is this control that we have over our identity that if we let go, it's almost impossible for them to go through this process and not feel like it's being done wrong. So you make, so you bring up a really interesting point and I'm sure I have a feeling you were going this way anyway, but um, when, you know, the brand, the personal brand Mm -hmm. is so closely attuned to who you are, because that's how you, how you built it. And, and maybe it was built on, you know, Mm -hmm. opinions and, and so, so forth. But when you come to this point and you, you've defined your non-negotiables and you're struggling with the idea that my personal opinion on the exact word choice in this post is no longer as important as growing the business because of my goals, right? How do you separate you from what's being said in your quote unquote voice? A lot of people can't and a lot of people define the room that they want to play in by that choice. Um, I use a lot of parenting analogies. Um, so, and let's even be, even before we talk about parenting analogy, if, if I go to most small, uh, most entrepreneurs that are still in a, where they are the full actor in their business and, and where they have delegated, they have delegated exact tasks where there's really no discretion in the person they're delegating to. They're just basically delegating to a body to, to do the work as instructed. And I asked them to basically draw two circles of different colors on a sheet of paper with one color representing the shape of their business identity and the other being their personal identity. Most business owners in the early phases, certainly me, before we became pregnant, I mean, it was my wife that became pregnant. Um, (laughs) um, Those two circles are almost perfectly overlapped. There is no space between those. There is no space between my business and me. So um, anything the business does is a reflection on me and anything I do is a reflection on the business. And if I want to build a business that is greater than me, I have to allow those circles to start to separate, which means that I have to start to allow my public identity to be separate from my personal identity. I did make a couple, like a couple things I think are like necessary mindset. One is, especially if you're gonna play on stage with a lot of a lot of people, I believe we need to be okay being misunderstood. Ooh. Ouch. I, that one hurts. <laughs> yeah. It, it it is a big one for me. You know, I think about all the things I've touched, all the things I've built. And if I tried to control what everybody thought of me, I would be unable to function. And I have to get to a place where I am okay being misunderstood because it is a necessity when I am playing on a large enough field that there's a lot of people involved. The only way that I can control my ability to be understood is by talking to very few people, except for those that I can do immediately personal follow-ups. Mm-hmm. Or, or I, I don't know what, or by just driving myself crazy. I, I can't control it. It's just a matter of whether I think I control it. I can't control what people think. So it is kind of like allowing that the world is going to think what it's going to think. And that is not necessarily the same thing as it being true. And it's also not 
my job to clean up every misunderstanding around my identity. So in terms of being able to like, like separate and like allow other people to play in my space. So one, one of them is, first of all, to have these conversations about what is negotiable, non-negotiable. And then also I have a lot of conversations when it turns out something that everyone agreed was non or that was negotiable trips a switch suddenly and suddenly becomes non- <laughs> it, it, non-negotiable. And we have to go back to kind of founding principles and decide, you know, what is it we're trying to build, why we're trying to do it. And, and, the, and the parenting analogy, that's what was a parenting analogy for me. I have built enough businesses and I have left enough businesses that I have created that I am, that the businesses grow to where they're no longer my baby, but they become more analogous to my teenage child or my semi-adult child. And one of the analogies I would use is if you've ever had a teenager or if you're coming up on having a teenager who learns to drive. I need to let my business learn to drive. And that Mm -hmm. is a messy process of making a lot of mistakes and doing things worse than if I was driving. And I have to be clear on what's on the other side of that. Because one thing that happens with the teenager that drives, first of all, I am releasing that person to be a a mature adult and to learn the skills. And and, And that analogy applies to both the business and also the team in the business that I'm trying to develop. And also... Just speaking as a parent, assuming the relationship with, with our teenagers are good, life really opens up when there are additional drivers in the family. All of a sudden, younger children get to be taken to practice on someone else's way, but the car gets dented in the way in the process. Yeah. So am I willing to let my personal brand get a few dents in the process of letting a team learn how to drive? And am I willing to take on a mentoring role of others to help them learn how to to do things, or am I going to try to control and manage everybody? And really is the difference between functioning as a leader or functioning as a manager. If I am basically going to hire people that I want to give no discretion to, then the company can really only grow to the, to the size of my discretion. But if mm-hmm. I can lead people who on their own are in, are bringing in their own creative talents and and we are working with a growing and evolving common share of values it's really possible to take things to an amazing level but it's also really painful and um and most of that pain comes down to self-image um i kind of buried i buried an element in this when i when i was dividing the non-negotiables and the negotiables i said core values and self-image i put self-image in the non-negotiable side because that's where it usually starts and you're saying starts, meaning we need to maybe move that somewhere. Well, it, it is a conversation. Everyone gets to choose for themselves. But one of the things that you have advocated for is creating a life balanced with your business, 10 yes. hours, 15 hours a week. I would offer as a thought that when there is a small business owner that is putting 40 hours worth of work in a week for a business that only needs 10 I would say 30 of those hours are things that have absolutely no value to the business, but are protecting their own self-image. I would, either, they're, yeah. either their self-image as a hard worker, there's a lot of self-image issues of allowing other people to do the work instead of me, because I am a hard worker. And if I'm not working hard, I'm not valuable. Or self-image of I know I know what I'm doing, like not allowing any weaknesses to show. And so therefore relying on other people becomes a weakness. 
Um, my favorite example is just one of appearance, was just one of, of appearing to be really good. Often the very first podcast or video or some type of form of, of content creation that I will, will encourage someone to create, we do so much editing work on, not for the market, but for to protect that person's image of themselves in front of the camera or in front of the mic. Um, the very first podcast episode for one of my partners that I was building around, I had to go in and remove every like that she said in the podcast interview. Well, I, I do have an editor take care of all my ums. <laughs> That's more for no. the listener's benefit than my, my vanity. <laughs> um, but I've, I've said it on here before. Uh, when I first yeah. started this podcast, I wouldn't listen to myself. I do not like how I sound on recordings. Mm -hmm. And and from a psychological point of view, I know it. most people feel that way because how we sound in our heads is different mm -hmm. than how we, we actually sound, right? But um, I just had to get over it. Right? Yeah. You don't run a podcast for six years without having to get over that. So, And, and I think, honestly, that, that's really how you deal with self-image issues in a lot of ways is you go ahead and pay the price for a while. You, you pay the extra price. You put in the extra work for a period of time. And then at some point, at some point, you start to release things that seemed non-negotiable about protecting my image of myself because I start to realize that maybe other people don't care as much as I do around these things. And it can be anything from hairstyle to weight, to, um, to, to dialect, to language, almost anything. We all have pieces of ourselves that we're deeply ashamed of. And being public forces those things to the surface for us. And if we indulge our desire to try to protect our image against who we are, then we both put a lot more work into our public image than we really need to, because we are basically doing the job three or four times. We are doing it once, and then we're cleaning it up and cleaning it up and cleaning it up. And we also, in judging others, tend to think, and tend to shy away from people who are fake, from people who are not showing the vulnerabilities. I don't, I don't know who said the quote, but. Um, vulnerability is the superpower that is disguised as weakness. And I, that could be Brene Brown. It sounds like Brene Brown. I actually don't know where that quote came from. But a lot of times our willingness to show our vulnerabilities, to show our imperfections are the things that we initially want to hide. But those usually the things that allow large communities to connect to us. And, and ultimately, I think, you mm -hmm. know, as you... However you decide to scale your business, whether that's from a personal brand to a less personal brand, you know, led by a person, or whether that's in, in other ways, I think the ultimate connecting piece is other people realizing, hey, you've struggled, I'm struggling right now, I can probably yeah. learn something from that struggle and that journey along the way, but if you don't show it, and if you don't, um, you know, own up to the fact that there is so much more to to be had when you do release that you will just cap yourself and cap your income and cap the amount of people and impact you will be able to help out there yeah absolutely and for some people it's worth it for some people staying in control of their identity their space everything else they would rather have that as a life choice than to have a greater impact and and I think, I think everyone has to honor their choices. I'm just a huge advocate of being honest with myself about the emotional choices I'm making. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Craig, I think that's a, a great place to kind of wrap this conversation. I, I love where we went with this. Um, any closing thoughts? I mean, other than this is, I, I'm repeating this on my own cycle over and over and over again at different altitudes. I mean, this, I think, is what I am here to learn for myself, which is why I end up talking about it so much. Um, I mean, this is a very human path for all of us, and there are really no wrong choices. It's just a matter of what we want. I think, if anything, I just, I most admire people who are willing to trade what they have today in honor of what they want to create tomorrow. It's a really scary thing to do, and I really honor that, regardless of what happens after that attempt. Awesome. Well, thank you for this conversation. It's been fantastic. Thank you. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I couldn't believe the amount of kismet in there. You know, everything from the would you rather be right or would you rather learn to just some of the synergies that that happened along the way. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, Craig is obviously a, a wealth of information. If you have any questions, please do feel free to reach out to either of us. Uh, we're both a LinkedIn message away, right? And we will be back next week with more on how your brand affects your content strategy, how it affects how you are showing up in the world. 